0: Welcome. You're listening to the Granary Young Adults podcast, Unapologetic, a fortnightly podcast where we don't avoid hard conversations, we aim for them. In each episode, we talk about the contentious, taboo, and uncomfortable, the topics that no one is speaking about, but everyone is talking about. If you don't want to be challenged, this is not the podcast for you. These aren't sermons or lectures, they're conversations to challenge and activate dialogue as we dig into what God wants to teach us. I'm Rachel Baker, the Young Adults Pastor at the Granary Church. Thanks for listening in, and we hope today's episode challenges and blesses you today. So today we have our guest speaker is Matt Madigan. Thanks for joining us, Matt.
1: It's great to be here, Rachel. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be great.
0: Good to have you. Now, for those um, that might be listening that don't know who you are, who are you?
1: Well, I'm Matt. Uh, And some of you might have seen me on church online. Sometimes I preach. If you come to the church regularly, you'll see me about leading services and things like that. But I manage the building and business and administration here at the church. And I'm a husband and a dad of four.
0: So, what we love about Matt is that he cares about young adults, cares about the things that we want to talk about. And when we had the idea for doing the podcast, originally I'd asked Matt to actually talk on a different topic. And we got into conversation about some things that. We're pressing on our hearts. And one of the topics was comfortable Christianity. And I said, maybe we don't talk about the other topic. Maybe this is the one that God's put on our hearts to talk about. And Matt agreed. Yeah, we
1: were were vibing. (laughs)
0: Yeah, so thanks for agreeing to change the topic and to come in. I think it's going to be a great discussion and one that um, is really poignant for the listeners. So I'm excited to get stuck in. Comfortable Christianity is probably even a gentle way of sort of opening up the conversation. I think it's something that pertains to pretty much all of us. What are some of the signs that we've grown comfortable? What does that look like? What's comfortable Christianity? in its essence.
1: Yeah, look, that's that's challenging and good because I think um, it can be different around what our different gifts and skills are. It can look like, I think there's probably some commonality across things, but I have been processing lately, how am I interacting with the Great Commission? The Great Commission is Jesus's final words to his church and it is that would be all about the work of the kingdom. Would it be all about laying down whatever would get in our way to be people to see the kingdom advance. And sometimes I feel like I am living this suburban, dispassionate, and I'm living the great omission. And so, uh, you know, I feel challenged at times. And I do think when it comes to comfort as well, it's really important that we, our focus is not so much, I think it's a self-reflective activity, not a, look at all those comfortable Christians out there. So it's so easy to jump into judginess. But actually it's the Holy Spirit coming and convicting us. I mean, there's, you know, people have used these phrases over the years. You know, if I was on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Uh, And you know, maybe we don't use those phrases much anymore. Uh, But for me, what I'm looking for, um, I'm asking myself the question of this. When was the last time the Holy Spirit spoke to me and convicted me of something? That that tells me something. So that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for uh, things in my life of, am I more concerned about being nice and people liking me? And because I think now with social media is affecting our brain chemistry almost where we're like Pavlov's dogs around being liked and yet the gospel, Jesus said, don't be surprised if people hate you for my sake because they hated me first. And so I think to myself, and I'm not looking to be hated. Um, <laughs> <I'm naturally, laughs> b- <naturally>. b- <laughs> believe it or not <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, but I'm asking myself these questions of like when was the last time I was hated because of the gospel and I think oh man so uh, you know I, I personally feel convicted about these things so the, you know I read over last summer I read an old book that I'd been given back in the 90s called No Compromise and it's uh, Melody Green talking about her husband Keith Green great prophet musician back in the uh, 70s 80s And that fueled me. It was like it really uh, asked me some challenging questions that the narrative did. So that was helpful. But probably the thing that I've done at the most to stir myself out of a place of comfortableness into discomfort uh, actively uh, in a healthy way has been reading Jeremiah from from beginning to end. It's about 50-something chapters. It took me... You'd think it might take me 50-something days. It took me months because it's such a challenging text. I
0: was just going to say, it's not, a, it's not a lighthearted text. It's not a quick and easy read.
1: Chapter after chapter yeah. of God's speaking to Jeremiah and saying, I've called you to be a covenant watchdog on my people. You cannot be silent. And, and I found that a really, at times I had to walk away from the text and just go find something a bit more encouraging.
0: Uh, (laughs) Yeah,
1: but I found those sort of things helped stir me a bit but what I guess um, what do you well what Rach what do you notice when you know
0: yeah something that I loved that you said was about the self-reflective component to it so it's easy to point fingers and say that person looks too comfortable but I do think that we have to be accountable for um, our own faith and the, the strength of our faith and I think things like some key things to sort of When was the last time where you sat and listened to a sermon and you thought, ooh, there's this part in scripture that I've kind of interpreted differently and you've mulled over that instead of just agreeing, just taking it for face value. When was the last time that you thought differently to your peers and said something about it? It's those kind of things. Like if you're just surrounding yourself by people that think the same way and have the same, you know, Same way of expressing themselves. Are you sort of creating that opportunity to open your heart to what God's saying and put yourself a bit out there on the line? Or are you just trying to hide in what's familiar and safe rather than listening to the Holy Spirit? So I think that's really good. I think too something uh, is I I feel like we can turn there's a temptation to make uh, this a generational issue rather than a cultural yes. issue. I think that there's a yes. lot of potentially older generations that might look at the young adult generation right now and say, comfortable Christianity. And we're saying that from our mortgaged houses with two cars in suburbia. And so I sort of think this is a message for all of us and one that we all need to be revisiting and making sure we're checking where our hearts are at.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. It can happen at any age. Like I actually find now, I've just hit 50, I find a temptation to think about my life being all about mortgage and uh, nice bourbon and do you know what I mean? Yeah. It it, it, it feels, the the temptation to shift my life focus, uh, you know, it was only a few years ago we were church planning in probably one of the hardest spots in urban Sydney. And I woke up with an incredible, I, every day I woke up, boots on the ground, felt like the Holy Spirit pouring through me because I was living this countercultural. cultural uh, I've got to let these people know about Jesus. And, and now I'm consumed by my veggie patch, making sure the pool's clean. Um, now, all those things have got to happen. Yep. But it's the focus of my life. Has it become about mortgage has it, or has it become about, is it still about, Um, the Great Commission. And I feel so challenged. (laughs) So challenged.
0: I think something that I I find challenging as well is even in a church like the Granary, we've got great music. Mm. We've got such talented people, you know, and we can make something look really great. And sometimes it's sort of like, yes, this is awesome. We can present the gospel in a way that our unchurched friends are going to really be drawn to it. We can use our gifts to glorify God and that's awesome. And we should be doing that. But It's not to convince people that we fit into culture. Mm. It's, we need to be using those gifts to be able to show that what the story of the gospel is, what, you know, Christ has done for us. And it might actually earn us a bit of flack really from the outside kind of world. And where do we sit with that? I think that's a question to sort of just wrestle with a little bit.
1: hundred percent. I think that it's a key passage. This whole idea of don't be surprised. So it's not saying, um, it's not saying you should expect, no, it's not saying that you should go after people hating you, but it's sort of helping us recalibrate towards the way Jesus thought about ministry. He loved people deeply about as gracious person as you could possibly get. But he's like, I'm not surprised when people hate me because I'm confronting you around sin and repentance and, and the gospel.
0: That was good. What you were saying, Matt, about. Jesus calling people on things as well. And I think there's a um, temptation now in culture that if you disagree with somebody, that you're judging them. Mm. So how do we deal with that in this sort of a setting? Like any any great um, words oh. of wisdom for us on that?
1: I think a generation ago you could just launch in because there was an expectation that the church, like, so people would talk about things like church discipline and expect to be rebuked. Even the New Testament talks about that, rebuke a brother, save them, you know. uh, And and obviously it talks about how to do that, not with, you know, rantings and ravings, but carefully and gently. Uh, But I think we've moved, the idea of church discipline today seems to be so on the nose that I think it's almost like you've got to go back and have some pre-conversations or you've got to actually rebuild that expectation through, I guess, teaching platforms. I'm not sure how around actually the church and Jesus has a right to speak into our lives with a boldness to call us to account because I think the church and Jesus has more than just one eye on heaven and one or more eyes on your character development rather than happiness. There's been so many subtle shifts, I think in a generation, Around these are sort the of things.
0: So, if we're ser- sort of saying, uh, we were saying earlier that this is a self reflective process. Mm. So, what happens then if we actually need to bring to somebody else's attention, a fellow Christian's attention, and we say, actually, I think that you have grown really comfortable in this, or, you know, I, I think that you maybe should have another little look at this. Like, is there something that, can we call each other on our comfortability <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, in those instances? Yeah. When I was
1: um, pastoring in Sydney, I would preface those conversations by getting, like, by doing a bit of social contracting, and I'd basically say to the person, how would you feel about us having a discipleship conversation? And I'd be like, after a while, they understood what that meant, but Did it were basically run? like, hey, I'd like to take... I'd, I'd like to get permission off you for me to go deeper with you around some stuff, because I think if you just launch in these days and, and you haven't done the restructuring framework around actually brothers and sisters in Christ, not only have, we have an obligation according to scripture to keep each other accountable. And in fact, it's about as loving and gracious thing as you can do if you see someone falling into sin. But we we just don't I don't think anymore we've got the framework of how to do that well. So I would I what I would do is in the end because I stuffed like honestly stuffed up, honestly I now have some people who were near and dear who really do not like me at all, because I just launched I launched a couple of times I just launched in I just called people out and it was like either the relational bridge wasn't there or uh, we I hadn't got permission from them to go to those places and it turned terrible so now I would say that building that relationship is really key and that some form of social contracting up front is hey I'd love to have this conversation with you but I give you full permission with no judgment to not enter into that conversation
0: yeah interesting because I think um, I think that we also have to be held accountable to like you said actually bringing these things up with our uh, Christian friends because if if we want to break this comfortable Christianity, what do we do with it? We can't just go soft on all the issues and mm. say, um, I don't know, whatever you want to do goes. Mm. But without that strong relational connection already, then we actually don't really have permission mm. as well. So th- there's a balance there, isn't there, yep. to, between those things. Yeah,
1: I think if a church put a framework in, uh. And what I mean by framework is that it was something that was taught regularly around the whole idea of the accountability of the body of Christ towards each other. Then, I, you know, it feels like you've built a framework you can walk on, jump on a bit, put a bit of weight on it. And and you look, you know, as a pastor, you've been in in this space heaps. That um, people are, you know, when it comes to yourself, it's easy. It's easier to do it for yourself. Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Show me, show me what you want to speak to me about. I think it is to do that hard work of what's the person going to hear when i say this and i do think it's maybe easier when you've been pastoring someone for longer possibly and you set up expectations that this is a gospel thing to do
0: so it's definitely a cultural shift that we're talking about but also looking inward and and being prayerful with god about the things that we need to be maybe giving up and 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 i suppose there might be some people listening and saying like well, that's great. I'm open to change. I'm open to handing those things over, but the Holy Spirit hasn't revealed them to me, or I don't know what they are. Um, <laughs> let me,
1: let me help you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, but like, what what are some things that we might not um, that we might be holding on to that are some things that could almost apply to all of us? Like, are there things yeah. that you would sort of say these are some key areas to start with if you're sort of going? I think I'm comfortable. Mm but I haven't been convicted on one particular thing yet.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. If you read any of Charles Finney's work, he's a, a revivalist from hundreds of years ago, he would talk a lot about the sin of commission, like I deliberately did something, but he'd also talk whole chapters around the sin of omission, all the stuff that you're supposed to do that you don't. And you start reading that his works and you think, oh yeah, I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do this. And then all of a sudden you're confronted with, Oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that Jesus calls us to that I never give pay any attention to. So sometimes it does take someone external to us to point these things out. It's the beauty of the body of Christ. This is what we call this interconnectedness. I think uh, I see a few patterns happening around the, around society. I don't know whether this is a Western thing or it's an Australian thing. I don't know what it is. But I I see these things and I think they're not bad places to start from because I think they become part of our worldview and often we don't critique our worldview. So we sit within this way of thinking and we don't think, oh, maybe that's not a biblical way to think or it's the only way to think. So I once had somebody come to me and say to me, I'd made this decision about something or other, and they said, I'm not comfortable with that. And I, later on, I was like, oh, when did our standard of right and wrong become whether you're comfortable or I'm comfortable? And I was like, oh, so the shifting of what is right and wrong, it can be a thing. I heard somebody say once, you do you and I'll do me. And I almost actually had a bodily reaction to that of grief because I was like, that is individualism at its worst. It's actually, um, we are a body, the, the whole New Testament is geared towards this idea of interdependence with other Christians in which we never get the right to say, I do me and you do you, because it's not actually how an organism, it's not how the body functions. And it's something I think so grieves the heart of God. Now, if somebody means by that, that I am responsible for my behavior and not yours, then totally, I get that. But if you're saying I'm an independent, it's like when I hear people say, I'm a strong independent, whatever, whatever. I'm like, actually as new testament christians the whole idea of complete independence i think postmodernism has become so ingrained in our thinking now that we don't even critique it and it's this idea of your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth but i think actually when the ancient writers were writing or actually anybody who writes anything they have an actual definite article and definite thought in their mind and so they put it down in text now because the bible is written 2000 years ago or so we sort of think oh you know it could mean this and it could mean that i'm going to interpret it this way this is my truth well actually the bible writer had an idea in their mind and our job is actually to learn the skills of interpretation so we can actually read that text and get to the heart of what they were saying
0: look i think i'd argue too like if you're feeling comfortable or there's nothing in the Bible that's challenged you or or nothing that you're hearing even among your Christian peers that's challenging you, when was the last time you got into the Word? Because I'll tell you, it's full of challenging calls, right? So if Don't you're, read if, Jeremiah! If, if, you're, if you're thinking, no, I think, I think I'm all right, when was the last time you got into the Word and actually started reading yeah. it? Because yeah. I think that we can all be adapting and and learning from scripture the things that we're that we're missing. And that's not because we're bad or we're doing, you know, a terrible job and get into the scripture because you'll find all the places where you've failed. But it's we've all got something to work on. There's all going to be something that, that yeah God wants to work on in our hearts. So
1: it can be the danger of um using a manicured devotional book where it's all about uh, I need pithy little motivational things. And not actually thinking about the word in chunks of of who like Paul's sitting in a jail cell in Rome and he's writing to the Colossians, um, the Colossians, sorry. And we think, okay, let's think of his work as general because there's stuff in there that's really inspirational and encouraging. There's stuff in there that's like, oh man. Um, a couple more things. Dualism. I think that we have uh, created a divide between secular and sacred, which doesn't help us. I think we are being f- Pushed upon us all the time, the idea of rewriting history. So, missionaries, when I was a kid, missionaries were good and they were doing great things around the world. Now, missionaries are bad and we'd better be quiet because missionaries did a lot of damage. So, we've been there's a fear, a fear, there's a fear. of fear. We've been schooled yep. in that from our, from our secular universities. I have to affirm your lifestyle for me to be a loving Christian. Anyone who doesn't affirm me is judgy and we're not in a spiritual battle. And again, like John fifteen eighteen twenty five says, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. So I think a lot of those things are things that we don't tend to think about every day, but they do affect the way we think.
0: Okay, so let's just use the example of- <laughs> I'll give you one. <laughs> an affirming culture. Yeah. Okay, so now we we want to go out and we want to share the gospel. We're ready to um, put a reputation on the line. Yep. If we push too hard though, yep. if we become that kind of Christian cringe prototype, Yeah. Um, isn't that unworking our chances to witness to non-Christians?
1: Potentially, but I guess, I guess you could ask a question of what is the gospel at this point? Is the gospel where you keep doing, you, you, you don't alter your lifestyle any and you receive the love of God, or is it that you repent from a lifestyle where you are King and you make Jesus the King? If your gospel doesn't have some form of repentance in it, it's not really the gospel. And so I think that's where we need to do so with probably some more sharpening iron, sharpening iron around what the gospel actually is. It's it's not just affirming whatever. Yeah. It is actually calling to repentance. And, you know, that doesn't sound really popular. In fact, as I'm saying it, I'm like, oh boy, that sounds really but it's actually what we're called to.
0: Well, I think too, like we have to be careful if we if we present this, um, altogether front where we are cool and we don't have to give anything up and, and we can live just like everybody else, aren't we just hypocrites? Isn't isn't that the isn't that what we're showing to people we're saying, come, this is the gospel, this is the Christ that can can save you and you know, he's given everything up for us. But your life doesn't actually have to change. It doesn't look any different to yours. Just do what I say though.
1: Yeah. It's it's a confronting gospel. It really is. I sometimes, I don't know, I just I feel as, as you know, I've been preaching for maybe 30 years now, and I think every time you step behind a microphone or on a stage, there is this incredible temptation to dumb down what the word says so that you don't come across strong or confronting or convicting. Oh, it's, it's a real temptation. and I don't think it ever goes away.
0: Has that been the whole time you've been preaching? Do you think? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think so. Um, the and I don't know what other preachers experience. Maybe they don't experience that at all. But I know that I lean towards the fear of man or wanting people's approval. Like my personality style is a lot more towards like me, like me, like me. Yeah. Uh, so maybe for some that's not a challenge at all. But um, I've got to constantly remind myself that actually uh, there's a greater reality than having people in the room like you. It's actually God sitting on his throne saying, you are representing me really well right now. So we've got to have his words and we've got to have his heart. So I'm not saying we don't have heart in this, but um, you know, as we think about the, the, the whole area of Christianity around deconstructionism and, and liberalism, and uh, it should, I think it should sober us up a bit and every one of us will stand before the throne And, of course, it's a throne of love, but it's also a throne of, hey, how did you go with what I gave you?
0: Uh, You kind of mentioned, you know, maybe it's just you that wants to be liked. Well, I think we're in a cultural setting right now where being liked is everything, you know. Um, The studies that are coming out based on social media and things, I mean, society tells us that we deserve or we are owed you know, yep. blank. That yep. that that's that's the generation that we're living in. That's mm. the the culture that we're living in. So, how do we realign that we are owed something mentality with what the Bible says?
1: Slowly and carefully, I think. Um, I think there's a lot of, a big discipleship process. But I think I think within that small group discipleship process, you can actually I think there's room now. Maybe, maybe it wasn't needed 40 years ago to critique your worldview, but I think now there's probably more need than ever to before, sometimes even before you hit the text, to be like, what cultural assumptions am I bringing to this discipleship journey? And to think through that. Um, I think that's a really, a really big question because the Bible, if we want to talk about what we deserve, according to the New Testament, <laughs> actually says we deserve death. <laughs> You know, and obviously we're talking at that point of the unredeemed soul. So we're not talking about the redeemed soul. It's, it's, it's it's, the gospel is so glorious in the idea of transforming us completely from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. The transformation is, is chalk and cheese. It's, it's an amazing thing, but you know, for the unredeemed soul, the unregenerated soul the Bible tells us that death is actually is what deserves. So, you know, we've got to try and I think we need to be savvy around how we deconstruct marketing, um, marketing gurus and how they draw us into that you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. Yeah.
0: I can't really see a marketing marketer, uh, using you deserve death as their, um, you know, strongest,
1: <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> strongest
0: technique.
1: <laughs> it's not going to be the banner on the website no. and you're not going to see it on a bus this summer <laughs> around yeah. town. Yeah. But, um, but uh, that's where I guess we've just got to ask ourselves the questions. Are we going to stick to? And when I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about like generations of Orthodox believers after generations, people who, people like Cramer, um, who got burned at the stake, martyrs who, even lately, martyrs. If you read the Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, generation after generation have said, I will not recant under any circumstances. You can burn me at the stake. I will not recant from who this Christ is. And I, just, I, and I just, I feel uh, at times I'm just like, God, let me burn afresh for you. I don't want to be counted amongst those who wavered. Each one of us is going to come to a moment uh, and it's, a, it, it's like a, a hinge of history in our personal journey.
0: I think that probably most people would agree. It's those um, relationships or stories that you hear that can really hit home. Um, and can really sort of convict you on, on the things or the limits. I think that, um, I know for me, it's easy to, uh, concentrate on my circumstances that I'm in and feel like a bit, you know, uh, this is, this is so hard or this is so challenging. And then you put it into perspective with somebody else's story of, of what they've been through just to, um, just for their belief in God. And you go, Okay. Yep. You know, like yep. it's a bit of that moment. I don't know if you've got um I've got a a personal story yeah. that um Tell us that has always stuck with me. I was about I was probably about 8 or 9 and a refugee family came to our church um and the mum became friends with my mum. They'd come from Iran and she had a son and a daughter. The daughter uh, the son was my age. And it was just the three of them and what had happened was they came to Canada because one night, soldiers came into their house, murdered their dad in front of them, and they left with nothing. And they They just ran and they escaped, the mum and the kids. And um, it was because he was writing um, a Bible study in the underground for other Christians in the area. And he was my age. Mm. And I just remember hearing that and going, what have I yep. been through? Mm. You know, And, and mm. I don't ne- necessarily think that it has to look like... Um, that story i mean that's intense but that was somebody was willing to sacrifice their life for sharing the gospel you know would i sacrifice my popularity or my creature comforts it's or sobering. you know even, even at that age i sort of went "Ooh, this is something bigger than i thought i was you know than I was actually ready to do at that time. And it still comes back, that memory still comes back and Mm. convicts me from time to time of sort of like, would you actually give up everything?
1: I think they're catalytic moments.
0: Yeah, they're great. Where you're
1: like, uh, God, you know, calls you into something. A few weeks ago, Afghanistan, Mm. the, the American troops pulled out and Afghanistan fell and I trained at a, So not just a standard Bible college, but a missionary Bible college. So most of my classmates would be thinking about the two thirds world or or the 1040 window. And once they get embedded in there, you don't tend to really hear which country they're in. And when the news broke that the Americans had pulled out and the Taliban were marching on Kabul, uh, and I read somewhere somewhere where Christians and missionaries are just putting their affairs in order now because they're just waiting death. And I had this moment where I thought you're talking about people who could have been my classmates and they made this decision to say, Christ Jesus, I lay my life down for you. I hold nothing back. And, and I just, and I was, I was stirred in my middle class, comfortable, safe thinking to say some of my classmates could be right there. Now saying, God, not only give my life to you figuratively, I give it to you literally and I was I was stirred and I just think we have got a great tradition in the, his, the Christian tradition of people saying Jesus, I'll lay my whole life down. And then Jesus says, it's the only way to find life. The only way to find life. We're trying to find life in so many things that are great and comfortable and exciting. And I'm not saying don't go out for a date and don't go to the movies, not saying any of that stuff. But what I'm saying is, let there be a greater reality around Christ. I lay my life down, I will go anywhere you want.
0: So then if we're not called to be missionaries, we live in comfortable Newcastle, Mm, mm. how can we celebrate the gifts and? blessings that God gives us without adopting them as, you know, well, this is where he's placed me. So he's actually said, I get yeah. to be comfortable.
1: Uh, comfort's a really interesting thing because you can't actually, you can't actually see in someone's, like I have often a thought about times. What is comfort? Like, cause there's times where I'm just like, Oh, I've got to get out of here. I'm experiencing some sort of um, discomfort in a soulish level. Like I, I often don't think about comfort in terms of the physical thing. So like I've got a nice chair at home that I sit in and that's comfortable. But if I'm got torment happening in my soul, I'm not comfortable. So I think comfort mostly sits in our soulish realm. And so you can experience it even in great comforts, Western comforts around us. Uh, so I think it's actually lives in that place here. I, th-
0: I think, yeah, no, I think that's good. I think that, Holy Spirit talking to you and and helping you with that. I think it's interesting before I took on the role as young adults pastor, my previous job was as an interior designer, and I worked in hospitality and commercially and spent a lot of money. And I remember when I was training um, and when I started the job, having this real wrestle of, I feel like God's called me to do this job, but it's so materialistic and it's all about, basically saying to people, have whatever you want. You can have it, you know, whatever you want will make your, you know, your dreams come true. And I always thought, well, what are people going to think? Are they going to think that I've, I'm promoting or, um, you know, perpetuating this comfortable lifestyle? What am I doing? But in that, because I listened to the Holy Spirit and he said, this is where I want you. Yeah, yeah. The opportunities I had to actually witness to people and to share the fact that these things are all beautiful. God's a creator. He's an artist, right? So I have no trouble with um with that side of it. But being able to say, this isn't everything. This isn't what defines me or gives me my um, purpose or value was amazing. And then God said, okay, now it's time to change. And so I think it's that that Holy Spirit um calling in you that's really important to be listening to because you can't just look at somebody and say, too comfortable or not comfortable enough.
1: 100%. You just can't. I- I think what you've just described is this whole thing of I'm living with these nice material things around me, but inwardly I'm living in a laid down, like I'm living a laid down lover of Christ attitude. And that way, um, then those material things don't become your all in all. And it is challenging. I think there are challenges around the prosperity gospel. I I think, uh, it it doesn't help to put those two words together sometimes. Um, sometimes God prospers people, but it's not because they're saying it's a must in salvation. Just saying, well, sometimes God gives people great ideas and they work hard and they have these amazing things. And And I think if you stay in that place and you are just laying it down and saying, Christ, it's all for you, then you can do incredible things. But, I, you know, I, the whole thing of like, do we try to therefore make our lives harder? Like, um, so the, the 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 desert fathers back in a day, so early church that they removed themselves from society, went out into the desert. Uh, they were the disciples of John, so they were the ascetics. They were like, we're going to fast and pray and. And we're going to deprive ourselves of a whole bunch of things. And you'd have guys in the middle ages who would climb a pole and fast for 40 days at the top of this pole and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, um, I don't know. I think sometimes life is hard enough without that. I don't think, I'm not sure that we have to go looking to make our lives less comfortable. I think the Holy Spirit, if we're listening to him, is more than capable of kindly and gently stripping off the things that attach themselves to us that hold us back from the gospel. I find wrestling with sin to be an uncomfortable process. That's what I was talking about in the soulish realm. Uh, and I'm like, I think that's a good thing to do, but I, I want to be, I don't want to be, I don't want a cat at nine tails and flogging myself, right? Because church history shows us that that is not helpful and doesn't do anything. I just want to be hearing the spirit and saying, lead me into oh you know that song um the lead me into waters oceans oceans waters deeper where i can't stand you know that song it's
0: good matt (laughs) i used
1: to sing that sort of like and then i started to really listen to the lyrics and it was talking about basically lead me into deep waters where i can't tread anymore i'm like i'm not singing this song anymore
0: yep i'll just mouth the words
1: (laughs) i'll just hum
0: that's good we've got um linden's my husband we've got a joke about when when you're working on something and it goes almost too smoothly and we'll say to each other how can we make this harder i'll say like on roller skates whatever it is and it's like sometimes god's actually placed you in something and it's going smoothly because you're listening to him yeah, 100%, and he's paving 100%, 100%. the way 100%. um so making it harder doesn't mean that it's going to be better yeah
1: it doesn't um, mean more necessarily more character will be developed yeah. unless it's the spirit leading into those places. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: That's good. We
1: had some young people at our church in Sydney and uh, I tell you what a joy to disciple them. They'd come up to me in and, and say, what do you see? What do you see? What, what, what's this, what's the area?" And that rocked me cause I was like, oh, they're actually coming to me and saying, what do you see? What's the area of sin or what's the area of development? What, what's God want to do in my life? And it was such a joy to have those discipleship conversations. And then it fueled me. I'm like, who do I go to say, to say what do you see in my life? What? And I think um, I think if you can get on the front foot and set a culture by saying, what what do you see in me that is my rough edges or my sinful traits or my unredeemedness, uh, speak into it. I give you permission. Now, obviously, you don't want to do that with everyone because um, you know you might get smashed and that's not a – Fun experience, and sometimes it's not even a helpful experience. So yeah,
0: I don't know if this is just a a statement that's going to be disagreed with, but I think that probably the people that, even for young adults, might actually go to to sort of say, "What do you see?" Mm. are going to be the people that they see asking that question of themselves too. Yeah, hundred percent. It it's really hard to, especially look to a generation older than you and receive correction and guidance from them when they're not doing that for themselves Mm -hmm. as well and i think that um yeah i think i'd encourage the young adults in this is that this is something for everybody this isn't just a like i said before a generational thing and i think that that's great i think giving permission to um have those conversations and not all of our conversations with our christian brothers and sisters should be comfortable and so you need to find the people that you trust and have wisdom in those areas and be able to say let's have a bit of an uncomfortable conversation and is there anything you need to call me on and if and if you're offering perspective on somebody else then you have to be prepared that they might reciprocate um, and be okay with that and that and that's where that relational side of things really comes in and we're not talking go up the front of church and name and shame but it's a completely different setting and and it's,
1: it's it's more about you the process you're going through anyway we were at a youth camp once and we had um, a young person. Like, we had this moment where the Holy Spirit just blew through this youth camp and people were repenting all over the place, all sorts of things. And this one young man gets up and starts to talk about his porn addiction. And I'm just, and we, us leaders, we looked at each other straight away. We're like, so someone got up and said, oh, let's go talk about this. You know, so there's an appropriateness around the context of which we do these things. But I mean i want to I want to live in a body of Christ where we're real with each other, and we and we 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 hold nothing back when it comes to the Lordship. And then even other places in the prophets where it says, he wounds us and then he binds us up again. And I think we've lost this a little bit from our discipleship journey that he does wound us from time to time, but it's to take out the tumours, it's to to take out the sinfulness, um and he binds us up again, and the wounds of a friend are true honestly, a friend who will be honest with you is worth more than gold and silver. doesn't necessarily feel like it at the time, but if they divert you from disaster because they've taken you off a sinful path.
0: I love that um, image that runs through the Bible of, um, the, the pruning, you know, you mm. could just be left, um, and the plant might survive but with pruning which is not a comfortable process you, sometimes it it's taken right back if if you're a gardener you know there are some plants that are basically hacked back down to ground and you think this thing's never going to come back up mm. and then it's more beautiful bears more fruit i mean it's an illustration that jesus gives us and so i think the thing is is that he's saying it's going to be hard mm. and it's going to be so much better for you
1: Look, as a fellow gardener, <laughs> I've got to say I love gardening. Uh, but I, last time I pruned, wasn't that long ago, I actually had an emotional reaction before I pruned. And you might think, okay, it's just a little bit on the edge right now. I'm, I'm going to hear you out, Matt. Okay, you're going to. Yeah, that's right. Thanks, Matt, for joining us today. <laughs> honestly, I had an emotional reaction before I pruned. I felt this incredible sadness come over me, but I knew that as soon as I take the secateurs to those branches, the science behind it, a chemicals released in the plant. That causes growth. It's not just on that branch, but in every single branch. An actual chemical is released in that tree from that pruning. And now I look at the Fitinia hedge that I've got now, and it's looking crazy good because I pruned. And I just think that's probably how Jesus feels about us. Like there's probably a brokenheartedness when he needs to prune us.
0: I wonder for anyone listening, you know, you think of those strong Christian men and women that you look up to, chances are that they did not live a comfortable lifestyle. You know, Um, they would all have a story of where they'd, you know, been through trials or adversity. And in order to go on a similar journey, we have to be willing to, to get uncomfortable. And um, yeah, I think that there's, there's people that would probably spring straight to mind when people think about it. And, you know, you ask them, And I'm sure that they'd Mm. share with you, you know, what they've been through and what God's led them through. And it definitely won't have been a crazy journey. So we want to be people with that kind of depth of character. Mm. We have to be willing to um, step out as well. This is great. It all sounds really hard, though. So why follow Jesus?
1: I think because the reality of of it is that we spend a lot of time trying to find what this abundant life is all about, right? So comfort, comfort feels like a little bit of a, I guess, a false pathway to what abundant life is. If I could just minimize all difficulty in my life, then my life will be abundant. Where Jesus says there's actually a completely, so that's actually a counterfeit way to find abundant life. Jesus said there's a whole other way. He says, unless mm-hmm. you lay your life down, it's only then that I can fill you with my abundant, overflowing, joy-filled life. And I think because the pathway of discipleship is actually the true pathway to abundant joyful, filled, meaningful, like meaningful life. It's
0: so good. I'm challenged. There are a few things there that we chatted about that I'm like, oh, can't wait to sit down and mull that over. I'm challenged. Yeah, it's good. And and I think important for everybody listening also to know that you and I are on this journey as well, Mm, and it's something that we don't have all the answers to, so we're still going through it as well. And, yeah, I I just want to say, Take some time after this and really be willing to wait on the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to you because there's something for everybody to be laying down. And like we said, it starts with that personal reflection time. So before you start thinking about, you know, your spouse or your friend or all the things that they should change <laughs> and lay down, let's just start with our own journeys for now. But That was awesome, Matt. Thanks for joining us today.
1: Oh, look, it's been a pleasure. So fun. It's so good uh, to kick off this podcast. I feel privileged. Great. And, uh, you know, if you see me uh, not living out these values, Mm. come on
0: permission then you permission have it granted. Same, same goes for me um, right. that's good but um, that's yeah, how yeah, we set I a think, new culture yeah, isn't it it's yeah.
1: we say actually we're going to start from the top we're going to say if you see me living a life where there's compromise then
0: yeah call it
1: out and we, we as Christians we just want to make sure if there's anything we've taken off the table we put it back on the table we say God I won't do this I won't do that I, won't, I can't do this I'm not going to do that we just put it all back on the table and say especially when you're a your young adult Because you're in that place of saying, God, what's my life going to look like? What a joy to be able to say everything's on the table, whatever you want. It's
0: good. Well, there you go, guys. You've got a challenge. And yeah, hold Matt and I accountable as well. We're keen. This is great. Thanks, Matt. Chat next time. Thanks for joining us today. We hope this has been eye-opening, challenging. And if you disagree with anything we've said, we encourage you to look into the scriptures and let us know what you found. We would love to hear from you. Reach out on socials in person or you can connect anonymously from our website to give feedback or if you'd like support in any of the areas we discuss in our podcasts. Please share the episode if you found it interesting and subscribe to get notified when new episodes are published.